This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everyone and welcome to the Blood Red podcast live and in person at the lovely Lovelocks Cafe. Sean Bradbury hosting today, making my debut in this environment, which I'm very pleased to do. Got two very special guests with me, unfortunately not Fabinho's two French Bulldogs who couldn't, couldn't meet their demands, but we've got two of the Echo's finest, which is Theo Squires and Keith McDonald. Theo, first of all, back from Hungary. Um, I believe you were there for the F1, but you were really there to ask about Sabaslai, surely. Yeah, we saw a few Sabaslai uh, shirts going around. Uh, did a little stadium tour, and this one he's got no connection with, uh, Ferran Cavaros, which sounds like the perfect pronunciation here. But I believe in Hungary, I've got it absolutely wrong. You sounded convincing to me, at least, yeah. But so. um, they're all excited about him. He's like this big talent for them. He's like this great player. And even though they've got no connections to him like individually, Hungarians support the national team first so they're all buzzing that he's got this move looking forward to seeing what he can do at Liverpool but all the excitement about that was sort of I suppose undone by they're all annoyed by their own club as well because they got knocked out of the Champions League by some Faroe Island part-timers seems a long time ago Liverpool having to do these qualifiers in those Champions League remember when we were playing like Lithuanian Farmers or uh, TNS from the Welsh side back in 2005 wasn't it but yeah it was a nice little trip I got a nice little tan and now I'm just enjoying being back in rainy England, rainy Liverpool, quite a come away from what was in Budapest. It was hot for the majority, 35 degrees. Excellent. Well, good to see you back, rested and refreshed. And uh, Kiefer, I want to give you a little shout out, Kiefer, because um, in I'll take you into the world of the Echoes WhatsApp group. Kiefer put a question in there this week on our, on our sport group. I think it's genuinely one of the best questions ever. So we'll start the pod with this. Have you drunk more pints sitting down or standing up? Kiefer introduced us to this question. So your answer first, Kiefer, if you will. My answer, I mean, depends how literally we are taking the question. Is it is it pints? Is it bottles? Who knows? But I think I think I'm a man who's going to say standing up. I'm a Barlina, I'd like to call myself. So <laughs> a Barlina, I like I'm not it. sure if Theo was sitting down or standing up in, in Budapest over the weekend having his pints, but certainly sounded like a better weekend than mine. But yeah, delighted to be in. You know, plenty to talk about. Indeed, Theo, standing up or sitting down? I think it's sitting down when you add everything together. When you go to a pub, you don't go, oh, I'm going to stand up. You look for a seat. Uh, if you go to the sport, yeah, granted, at the football, win win this country where you're not allowed to be seated with your beers. But you can at the F1, you can in uh, Munich or wherever if you go into the Bundesliga games. Most of Europe let like, you sit down in your seat and drink your beers. So when you add all that together, you, you and me, Sean, we're of a certain age now. You're always looking to sit down rather than stand up. Keith is obviously oh, eight, ten years younger than us. So he's not hit that yet. His knees are still doing him fine. His back's still doing him fine. <laughs> to be fair, by my back pains, my chronic back pains, may I add, I'm probably going to say that is further evidence that I'm a stand- standing up pint drinker. Um, I think the concourse... Concourse half-time pints are doing a lot of lifting in that conversation. Yeah, but. well, absolutely. We'll keep those pints coming. All, all medicinal, all good stuff for your back. Um, away from pints, we'll start, we'll start at the end, which is the end of Jordan Henderson after 12 years at Liverpool, and it's inevitably the first place we come to. Um, Theo, go to you first on this, and just want to really get a sense of what you think of how history will, will judge him. I mean, it's, it's a strange one, this, isn't it? So at the time of recording, we haven't had confirmation from Liverpool or Aleti fact that Henderson is actually going, but we have seen him kicking a ball or trying to kick a ball in a in a rondo that didn't look the best standard. I'm not going to lie, with his new teammates in Croatia. I saw one person on Twitter sum it up last night and say, you know, he's a legend, but he's messed up the final act of his own play. And I think that's quite an accurate way of looking at it personally. But how do you see this, Theo? I mean, I feel like now on this pod we should be talking about Henderson's best moments, but it doesn't feel like that is the right place to start. Really, it feels like a bizarre and sour ending to his time at Anfield. Yeah, agree with that completely. Like the way this transfer has been handled is a shambles. And the only issue is we don't know who's to blame for that. 
we don't know what is going on behind the scenes for there to be delays left and right who's pushing for what like there's been whispers that Henderson initially rejected it and then Gerard came in and uh, changed his mind but at the end of the day the transfer has not happened yet yet he has done his big farewell video on Instagram there's been footage of him training out there with them something's not quite matched up and I know there's going to be backlash to it in terms of whether he's a hypocrite or just let him go and get his money like if anyone was offered that much money to go and have the fun in the sun you don't begrudge him that but Henderson he is held to higher standards like it or not he has put himself forward as this political speaker for so many issues and he's got to be held to that higher standard he's a Liverpool captain as well like if he I know it's been pointed out on social media if he hadn't signed that new contract two years ago he goes on a free transfer this summer with Firmino, with Cater, Oxley chamberlain Milner, and he's an absolute club legend. He gets his big farewell at Anfield, then he goes and plays in that Southampton game, potentially gets a testimonial, we're talking about that, because he's been at the club so long, and there's all that love, and while there'd still be those questions of, is Saudi Arabia really the right move for you with all the politics behind it, you wouldn't begrudge it in the same way you are now. This transfer has completely disrupted Liverpool's uh, summer, their pre-season planning. We can take positives out of it. You're getting more money than you'd have thought for a player who's coming towards the end of his career. You can reinvest that in the squad. But this is not a transfer that they've been planning for months. Uh, it's not as though they knew in April, May, Henderson's going to go. If you'd said to him you could have gone to Saudi Arabia back then and you had no money in there, he's not interested in that transfer. He's looking at playing for England in the Euros next summer. Like Milner's just gone to Brighton. If there was Premier League interest and he wanted to go, he could have gone there. He, his head's been turned by the money. Like I said, it's a great wage for him, but it just doesn't feel the right way for a Liverpool captain to leave. Like when Gerrard left, it was the end of his contract, 35, he wanted to go and play more football, which Henderson's doing, but it still feels like there's more life left in him. He's got another two years. He should be maybe embracing the Milner role, so to speak, because you're still going to play a hell of a lot of football and go through so many Liverpool captains over the years, whether it's like the ones the club have decided to get rid of, your Paul Inces, your Jamie Redknapps, your Robbie Fowlers before that or like you're just too old like John Barnes Ian Rush it's always been Liverpool have made that decision it's not been the players gone prematurely they've all got so much service out of them Liverpool got so much service out of Henderson but for him to go like this almost out the back door so it's, it's, it's like not really something you want to embrace and look at you don't I wasn't interested in watching his farewell video I don't care what he's saying about how great Liverpool was we know how great Liverpool was we know you've won absolutely everything so why go on the eve of the new season when you're supposed to be leading them through towards that next chapter Klopp signed his new contract to give this transition to the next manager so you've got this next great Liverpool side Henderson should be part of that as the backroom side you can take positives out of it but it's still very murky waters this transfer has been completed in and when you're seeing him saying bye before it's even done training with his new teammates before it's even done yeah there's going to be a lot that's going to come out I think behind the scenes uh, in the future whether that's him in paperback sales for an next book or when he comes and does legends matches there's a, you, you want the truth here we don't want oh it was great winning the Champions League it was great winning the Premier League we've heard all this we want Jordan Henderson to come out and say right you're going to be disappointed because I've made this decision this is why and then have a message for the LGBT community and everyone else that feels let down by him still a Liverpool legend but at the moment this is the lasting image going out not on a high but on this muddied low Keeper, I think Theo summed it up superbly there but going back to the, the weepy video that Henderson's released we were we were predicting which music was going to be in the background and sadly no Adele and Coldplay as we thought there would be he threw the Kanye Kanye interlude in there but of all the lights 
uh, which is a slight surprise. But yeah, as I think Theo's spoken well and, and summed up why this just is unexpected, is, is odd. It's taken so many twists and turns that just feel unbecoming of how a captain should leave. I mean, what, what's your general assessment of this and how it's played out over the last few weeks? I think it's such a, a huge shame. I think whenever you you know, envisioned Jordan Henderson's time at Liverpool coming to an end, you know, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years, whenever he was going to depart, I always thought he'd be on the same level of a Jamie Carragher or Steven Gerrard. You're talking about yeah. full Anfields, you know, his kids by his side, his family there on the side of the pitch, you know, with a, a sold out Anfield, a mosaic there with, his, you know, Jordan Henderson 14, whatever. And, you know, he really gets to kind of savour that moment and appreciate it. And, you know, let's be real, this is a guy who's faced, you know, certainly in, in my lifetime, I can't think of a player who's divided opinion like Jordan Henderson has. And even, you know, in recent years after winning the Champions League and the Premier League, he still faced criticism and, and maybe people still haven't been convinced by him. I mean, I saw a bizarre tweet the other day that said that he was a technical obstacle uh, in, in Klopp's plans, which is bizarre considering, you know, he's captain Liverpool to three Champions League finals, nearly a quadruple, um, you know, guided them to a first league title in 30 years, the sixth Champions League. I mean, the list goes on. And, I mean, with the Fabinho deal, I think everyone could maybe see it coming. There was, you know, he's a, he's a, a sellable asset. But with Henderson, you know, everything that he said towards the end of last season about the fight and, and kind of going again, um, and, you know, that getting that hunger back, it just doesn't add up. And that's before you even include any of the political stuff that he's been involved in and the campaigning because you know, there's going to be people listening to this now who aren't interested in that side of football and they, you know, they're purely, their intake is the 90 minutes on a Saturday and that's, that's completely fair enough. But you know, to a lot of people like us, we're interested in the wider you know, impact it has on society. And you know, for a time, Jordan Henderson was someone Liverpool fans and you know, I'd like to think football fans around, around the country certainly during the pandemic was someone they could be proud of you know he settled the players NHS campaign didn't he kind of went back and forth with Matt Hancock during that you know really devastating you know couple of months we had in, in 2020 um, and he was a real leader and, and all the kind of talk around that was you know he was he was a player you could be proud of and you could be you know in the same way that Manchester United fans will look at Marcus Rashford as you know, someone who embodies what it is to be Liverpool and you know gets the culture and gets the values of the city but it almost feels like he's just thrown that in the bin and it's, it's such a huge shame because as I say he's, he's, he's fought this battle for 12 years you know he's fought against the tide of winning Liverpool supporters over and it now feels like he's gone and scored you know a catastrophic own goal and it's like all for what because you know I, I, I say I understand I mean this is a man who's going to be earning at Liverpool 5 million a year and I've heard a lot of people say it's life-changing money, but it's not as if he's been working in Aldi on nine quid an hour, you know, for the past 10 years. It's, this is, a, as I say, a bloke who's an international footballer, 70-odd caps for England, three Champions League finals. He is a multi-millionaire already. He will have passive income until the day he dies. So this idea that, you know, this, 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 this lad who, who comes from a working-class background in Sunderland is now going to get some final paycheck, I just, I just don't really buy it. And the thing as well is, yes, Liverpool are, are kind of undergoing this huge rebuild this summer and... Um, you know they're not in the Champions League. They they maybe they might not compete with City this year. But I mean James Milner, at 33, played 45 games for Liverpool. They went on to win the Champions League. The year later he wins a league title. And okay, you know I'm sure if you dissected those 45, you know 50 appearances, whatever he kind of accumulated, a lot of them would probably be from the 60th minute onwards. And and you know, seeing out the game and you know almost being that manager on the pitch. But you know go and do that for it. At least do that for a year and, and get that send off that you deserve. At, you know, even if it's this time next year and he goes to, you know, even if he went to like an Aston Villa or a Brighton or somewhere like that, you know, at least go out on, on a high and get that, that kind of connection with the fans because you'll never, ever get that back. And we've seen before with, you know, exits with, you know, 
huge Liverpool figures. I think of Graham Souness, and you listen to how he talks about his time at Liverpool now and his, and his exit. As, as, you don't remember Souness. No, exit. but I'm saying no. But <laughs> when you when you listen to what he says, he did a really good segment on Sky Sports a few years ago, and he and he basically said it still kind of eats at him. You know the way he, he left, and and you think. You know, Henderson in, in five, ten years' time, when his kids are all grown up, he will have an endless commas in his bank account, but he won't have that, that one kind of truly unforgettable memory of saying goodbye to a full day at Anfield because, you know, whatever the club's plans are now, as, you know, at the time of recording, we haven't had any official announcement from either club, so we don't know if they're preparing a, you know, an all singing, all dancing farewell speech with a, you know, his kind of uh, his own letter or a big montage or what. We don't know what the tone is going to be because, you know, this is ultimately a player who's walked out two weeks before the start of the season. He's left the pre-season camp and he's, after Liverpool have done all the heavy lifting in the kind of early weeks of the summer, they now face another huge rebuild, which is, you know, unthinkable. I mean, they play Chelsea in, in, in 15 days, I think it is, which is, which is absolutely mental. So, how the club kind of portray that and portray his exit will be really interesting and, and certainly we'll be hearing from Klopp you know, this weekend in, in Singapore and how how he kind of battles that and, and kind of you know his his take on it. I'm sure he'll be very amicable and, and say you know he's been a great servant and, and such an important figure. But I'm sure there'll be a point of you know someone inside, there'll be something inside of him that thinks my, you know my captain just walked out on me. You know, Liverpool don't have a vice captain at the minute. Liverpool don't have a captain at the minute. And after doing you know as I say a lot of heavy lifting in in these kind of early weeks of the, the summer, it's, you're now looking at him thinking you know. <laughs> The serious work now needs to begin again, which is which is really disappointing because, as, as I think I've said it on a few podcasts in, in recent days and weeks, is that if you kind of isolate the stuff on the pitch, it's actually been really promising. You know, all the fours have been scoring. You know, Trent's maybe looking at this new position and you've got some of the young lads doing well, but all of a sudden now you have, you've got a massive kind of, you know, two cogs of your midfield who, who aren't there. So it is really disappointing. And as I say, the, the one big thing is that Henderson will never, ever have that Anfield send-off. And I just think... When Firmino, you look at the fanfare he got in the you know the final you know three months of his Liverpool career after it was announced, I just don't understand how there wasn't a part of Henderson who thought you know I want I want this I want to be lauded and I know he's a guy who likes to stay away from the limelight and maybe you know usher his teammates to you know to the centre stage but surely just after everything you've given to Liverpool I mean 494 appearances I think it is I mean the fourth highest captain appearances in Liverpool's history. 12 years nearly half of his life has been spent at Liverpool and he's just gone out like that and it just or it, you know it leaves such a sour taste such a poor taste it's been handled so horrifically by, by all parties I'm, I'm, just, I'm just really disappointed to be honest I will defend him a little bit in the sense of footballing farewells shouldn't be normal like Liverpool have got into this situation where so many players have left on free transfers in recent years so they have had those farewells like Origi and the four we've just seen this summer but traditionally players don't go like that they go into the summer bids come in and that's when it happens like we've not had farewells for Sadio Mane we've not had farewells if you want to go back Luis Suarez Felipe Coutinho um, Fernando Torres they've had to come back for like charity games on Coutinho hasn't come back he's come back as an opposing player like traditionally you don't get that it's just football moves very quickly and so it's just because we've had these recent memories. Think, well, why hasn't Henderson been able to have? But I suppose part of the, that? the flip side of that is, if he, you know, he's 33 years of age. He's, he's moving to this league. He's moving to a team that I guarantee he hadn't heard of three weeks ago, four weeks ago, five weeks ago. I think that is also the sour, the kind of that leaves a really bitter taste. If if he was to, as I said, move to an Aston, but even if he went to the MLS or even if he went to Syria or you know, the well, league say he sits years. out his contract. What two years left? Yeah, is it? Sunderland could be Premier League by yeah. then. He could go back to his boyhood I mean, club. In get the heroes reception. Probably go and buy Sunderland now. That's the kind of money he's going to be on, which is absolutely mad. But I, I completely understand Theo's point, and and I kind of wrote a similar piece yesterday, you know, saying that 
these, you know, as great as these exits, exits were, they're ultimately a failure for Liverpool and FSG because they haven't had any return on, you know, all these big investments. Yes, the money is great for Henderson, but it's almost like, you know, he's, he's kind of had his head screwed on for pre-season. He's had this kind of money waft under his nose and he's thought, I'm out of it. And that is just the bottom line of it. Whether he had an Anfield send-off or not, you know, whether he left to go you know, to, to Celtic, to any, any other club in the world or any other league in the world, just after everything he's st- stood for, he's put his head above the parapet, you know, and chose to be an ally for the LGBT plus community. And I just think now you can't, you can't pick and choose your moments of when you want to be an ally. If you're an ally, you're an ally for life. Your morals don't change. But for Jordan Henderson... Clearly, the thing at the moment is there is a valuation of somewhere between 200,000 and 350,000 where his morals change significantly. And I think that, above all, is the, the kind of sticking point here, which is a really, really sour look for him. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Absolutely. No, very well said, the Perian. It will be interesting to see, as you say, the tone which Liverpool choose to strike in all this. You know, it's uh, not easy for them with how this has played out, but, you know, they played their partner as well, haven't they? So, yeah, we'll see how that unfolds. Well, well let, let's zoom out a little bit. You, you know, you both mentioned this idea of, of disruption, of unexpected developments after the first stage of a re- midfield rebuild that's had to turn into, you know, a more advanced and kind of deeper one. You know, they're having to really kind of gut the whole squad here. So, at the time of recording now, Henderson, as we've said, it seems like that's imminent. You know, the player himself has confirmed he's leaving. We're just waiting for one of the two clubs to confirm before the other does. Fabinho, the squad travel out to Singapore today, and we now believe that he's not going to be on the plane, that that deal, again, to take into Saudi Arabia is being close to wrapping up. And the third wheel in all this is, is Romeo Laviette. It sounds like, you know, we, we've written ourselves the echo that a first bid went in, was rejected. Second bid is, is on the way. I, I do like the dynamic around how the bid has been reported because it's almost, we were saying in the office yesterday, it's almost like the bid has got a tracking code on it. You know, bid being prepared, bid at the depot. Jorg is on his way in the van with the bid now. So let's have a little look at Lavia first of all and Theo. I mean, do you think that he is... I mean, you know, you'd like to think he wouldn't be the only arrival now, especially in the light of Fabinho and Henderson going, but do you think he's... There's often this traditional spell, isn't there, where a footballer comes in, Fabinho being a good example, especially in a specialist midfield position like that, where you're the, the holding man. Do you think he's someone who could make a bit of an impact and could be a first-team player, you know, sooner than some might expect? I, I think so, yeah. Like, it's still one where you'd prefer him to have a transitional period into Liverpool. Players don't always come in and hit the ground running. Yes, we've got examples like Luis Diaz, Cody Gakpo, but others take longer. And Fabinho, Andy Robertson, they were two prime examples of that. Lavia, he has had this year of Premier League football and a struggling team. He's a talent, but he's still raw. He's still like, you see all the compilations going on social media at the moment going, oh my God, what could we be signing here? But he still made some pretty foolish mistakes. Like, wasn't he at fault for Jota's goal on the yeah. last day of the or season? Or the other first assist for Liverpool, yeah. So uh, he's still got a lot to learn. You'd like to see a more senior midfielder come in alongside him. Or that's why you're a bit hesitant about Henderson and Fabinho going, because you, you want someone to pass on that baton. Like, it's all very well having the transition. But if these senior players are going, they've essentially dropped it and you're asking the next generation to pick it up off the floor. And it's a big ask for them. Like, Yes, you're not going to be in the Champions League. You're in Europa League. You can maybe find your, your feet a bit more. But you're not just going into a Liverpool midfield with these senior players that have won everything. You're going into a new look midfield with Alexis McAllister, who's just had the biggest move of his career. Dominic Sabostai, who's never played in the Premier League before. And I know it's a bit harsh to say, focus on the injuries had here, but he's rolled his ankle. Well, that's just in training. It's going to take some time to get used to the physicality. Uh, lesser players than him have struggled. And better players than him have struggled with the physicality of English football. It takes time to adjust. So you want that senior player who can just 
go in and make sure that it's a smoother process for Liverpool. But at the same time, if you bring in a senior midfielder now who's at the peak of the powers, so the same age as a McAllister to be holding midfielder, then what's the point of signing Lavia? Because then they're taking that position for the next five years. And don't forget, you've still got Stefan Bersetic as part of this conversation. He can be a number six for the next decade as well. Obviously, he's a player they like the look of. He offers a lot of tributes that Klopp likes in his midfield. He's good on the ball. He can. He's really good at intercepting the ball and pressing. This is stuff that suits a Liverpool midfield. He's got a bit more pace than Fabinho, so he can carry it out of midfield as well. He's not as tall, he's not as physical, but he's still a 19-year-old boy. Yes, we're focusing on the age. Yes, he's just been relegated with Southampton, but the old saying is, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Like It was only a few months ago, for like essentially 18 months, we were all waiting for Jude Bellingham, who was 18, 19, to come and be part of this Liverpool midfield. And he was a player that everyone was looking forward to seeing in the Champions League games. He's this exciting box-to-box midfielder that Liverpool fans have wanted their midfield to have for so, so long. And it's just now everything's turned slightly. That is not what they need now. They need this number six, this domineering powerhouse that is going to win absolutely everything, that's going to cover every blade of grass, is not going to make silly mistakes and can stand up and be counted. It's a gamble with a young player. It's going to take time, but he could come in and surprise everyone and be instant success. Like Chelsea wants him. I think Chelsea tried to sign him within, what, weeks of him joining Southampton yeah. in the first place. Yeah, 50 Man million bids by all accounts. value him highly. The fact they've got the buyback for next year. So it makes sense for Liverpool to get in there first, but you're putting a lot of pressure on his shoulders to be this instant success in that midfield at the expense of there not being a number number six there. Because we've seen with Bissetic, um He's a great player. He's ready up in his mind, but he's still in a boy's body. And Lavia had a few injuries last year as well, which maybe suggests the same sort of thing. Like Trent could be a number six, but then do you need another right back? That's a big ask to say on Connor Bradley, come in now and be a Premier League right back in an inverted role when you're a bit more defensive than you were on loan at Bolton, when you're a natural wing back, or you're putting Joe Gomez there and then you're saying, right, well, that means we need a left back to do it. And we've not seen Andy Robertson as a left inverted fullback, so maybe they don't have the confidence in him doing it. There's still a lot to unfold here. Like we thought Liverpool would do this in formation. Everything was set in stone. They're going to sign the signings to fit into this. Two attacking midfielders, a number six to be that long-term replacement and left-sided centre-back. None of us considered an actual out-and-out CDM at that time at this stage. That was the more long-term thinking. And now it's, oh, what do we do now? We need to get it done quickly. So, yeah, it's so much pressure. They've got to get been absolutely right. Otherwise, you fear another season of transition. Well, this is it, Keith. I think Theo's tapped very neatly into my fear around this as well, is that Henderson and Fabinho go. That's, and as Theo says, of course there would have been a long-term plan in place to, to replace them, you know, find successes for them. But they are, they are very much current players. You look at last season, I think they played respectively 35 and 36 games in, in the league. Okay, in Henderson's case, it, the number of starts was, was slowly being pared down as his role kind of diminished in the squad. But, you know, both of them had comfortably in excess of 2,000 Premier League minutes last season. And, you know, that is, that's a hell of a lot to replace when, as Theo again says, a lot of the options in the squad are either youngsters or inexperienced players or new recruits. So, you know, in, in, in your view, as it stands now, does it have to be Lavia plus someone? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think so. I think the, the kind of luxury that you would like Lavia to have is that if he comes in and hits the ground running, the, the shirt is there for him. You know, he he's, yeah. he's not he's not waiting in the wings like a you know, I take the kind of example of Kelher and Allison. You know, Kelher does so well like two seasons ago, but he doesn't get a kick because Allison is the best goalkeeper in the world. So that's kind of a, 
a really kind of sticking point in his development. But I think with the Lavia thing, you, you maybe think, well, if someone comes in, or even if Fabinho does, did end up staying or whatever, you think, well, long term, if if Lavia impresses, he's going to be the, a first name on the team sheet. But also, you would like the kind of confidence and the luxury of, okay, maybe if he finds it tough, you know, you got to think he's he's. I know he was at City for a few years, but he's. He's moving from Southampton, which I think a lot of time as young players, I think we will forget that, you know, it is a big move um, nearly the other end of the country. So he's going to be settling off the pitch. And if he doesn't hit the ground running straight away, you don't want that burden on him. I mean, you look at Bacetic at the kind of start of the turn of the year when Fabinho was dumped out of the team. And at 18, you know, I'm sure Bacetic couldn't believe his luck. You know, I'm sure he was one of them where he probably didn't feel tired. He probably didn't feel fatigued because he was just living off adrenaline. But, you know, if you maybe think if he hadn't have been injured he probably would have played near probably the the, the remainder of the games that season the, the kind of the final 11 that he missed so you don't want to put that uh, as Theo says that stress on his body because obviously Bacetic's body ultimately broke down didn't it with the kind of injury he suffered in, in March and ended his season um, but if Fabinho assuming Fabinho does go you know as, as he's not going to be in this in this tour squad and that gets finalised I would like to see a Lavia but then someone of I said it a few times or someone of Thiago's kind of uh, ilk and, and, and kind of age category of when he came to Liverpool someone who's done it you know, he's got his medals on the table he's got the experience he's got the know-how but he probably isn't he's probably looking at he's probably his last big contract he, he's probably thinking right I'll maybe do three or four years here um, you know hopefully be part of something great get a few trophies get a few medals kind of add to the collection but ultimately in five six years time I'm not going to be here so that's the kind of uh, name names Kiefer. Give us a name. Joshua Kimmich, I think. There's been, there's that was the obvious yeah. one. I knew that was what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to fuel any false speculation? But he's been. I think reports in Germany have essentially said that Thomas Tuchel in his first preseason is, is maybe looking at having a bit of a clear out by Munich. Benjamin Pavard's another name. Um, Joshua Kimmich, Goretzka as well. So these are, you know, all in slightly different roles, but they're all players who you'd be looking at as, as maybe a, t- a team in the Premier League looking to rebuild. Of, you know, we're talking about yeah players on a pitch in Fabinho and Henderson who've been vital in recent years, but we're also talking about leaders. And you know, you've just lost Roberto Firmino, who I know does, doesn't speak a lot of English, but in terms of having a presence of someone, who or at least by, pretends he doesn't, <laughs> having someone who leads by examples as you know in this kind of leadership group. And you know, he he would have obviously been, you know. A, a, you know, someone that the young players who, when they come up to the academy, would have sorry come up from the academy would have looked at. You know, James Milner as well. I don't need to tell you how important you know his role at Liverpool has been over the last you know eight years. Jordan Henderson, obviously the captain, um, and then obviously Fabinho goes too. So there, there are there is. I know people have pointed to that. There's loads of international captains: Salah, Van Dijk, Bosley, Robertson, and, and probably a few more. But I think in terms of people who have been there and, and done that, um, and certainly at Liverpool, Liverpool are lacking that now. So they need to make up that experience from from elsewhere. Um, and you know if they can get you know a Kimmich you know or someone of that ilk and that caliber and that class, I think you know that'll be kind of a really astute signing for Liverpool. And then you know you're looking at Lavia who's 19, obviously played 29 Premier League games, long term. He's, he's maybe thinking right, well I can learn off him and maybe kind of ease myself into that role. And at the end of the day, a successful season for Liverpool next year is going to be, I think I'll top my head 65 games if if they don't get a Europa League bye. So. 65 games there's a lot of minutes to be shared around you know whether Jordan Henderson thinks so or not there is going to be plenty of minutes so you know whoever comes in and whoever's got the shirt the lads who aren't maybe the first names on the team sheet will you'd imagine rack up 30 40 appearances just by default so is, is there a name Theo out there for you I mean I think the other thing that colours this debate is is it a midfielder or is it a defender or is there a player who you think could even combine the two because that that's my one worry again on top of everything we've discussed is this idea of the disruption in midfield with what Fabinho and Henderson have 
of sort to do and, and with them both being off it's it's kind of almost shunted to the background this idea early in the window the clock refused to rule out that Liverpool would sign a centre-back and okay Levi Carwell seemed to be the, the number one target someone we'd said as far back as March the Reds were looking at and were interested in doesn't seem like he's going to be doable but you know where do you stand on it if there was one player to come in would it be a defender would it be a midfielder and, and would there be a name I think it needs to be a utility player it needs to be someone like a genie Wijnaldum who plays those multiple positions and ticks multiple boxes like it's the one criticism you can really give Fabinho over his Liverpool career like yes he had that little stint at centre-back but he wasn't really particularly liking it <laughs> he said he was just glad to be back in midfield and it's an experiment we've not seen again since you want a player who can be a centre-back or can go full-back, can be that number six, can be that number eight. And if you sign a utility player like that, it means when Lavia or Bacetic are that little bit older, they can make that number six role their own. You've not got what do we do with them. They can still be that number eight or they can be a right-back or a left centre-back. or I don't know. I've written a piece the other week on Cooper Myers at Atalanta. He's someone Liverpool been linked with for a number of years now. I think he's like in his mid-twenties. He's a holding midfielder, granted a very different sort of holding midfielder to a Fabinho, but he can get the ball forward. He can win it back. He's good at set pieces. He can play as a number eight. He can play as a left-sided centre-back. Look at another player they've been linked at Atletico Madrid, Marcus Lorente. He's this all-round midfielder that can be a six, an eight, a ten. He can play out wide but he can also play as a right back and you think maybe that is the way to go because if you sign one of them well then you've got your cover at centre back or you've got your alternative to Trent at right back they can be the number six but then if Lavia or Besetic hit the ground running you're not really stuck with a, a number six you don't know what to do with you can just put them in a different position as an, a number eight and that's what made Genie Wijnaldum so important for Liverpool like time and time again midfielders would be signed and we think oh that's him done he's not going to get in the start in 11 but he was just always available and he was so versatile that you could have him in so many roles like we never saw him as a number six when they signed him we saw him as a, a number 10 or a wide midfielder he reinvented himself as this number eight and that was so vital for Liverpool like Henderson when he was made as a number six and then he reinvented himself as a number eight again that's what they need I think rather than this someone who's a perfect number six because while it'd be great to get a Kimmich he's still an older player who's not played in the Premier League before and he's not got the injury issues of a Thiago but they put a lot of money and a lot of effort in Thiago to only really get returns for him for half a season each time I'm not saying it's a mistake he's been a great player for the club he's a great one to have around the camp but I think he's another player who only plays one position it's the fact that Thiago you need him alongside that number six and it doesn't really fit with the inverted fullback so you need someone who ticks more of these boxes here who can suit a number of Liverpool formations play in a number of positions and isn't just a short term fix until Lavia gets a bit older until Bacetic gets a bit older someone who can really be part of this midfield going forward into the future and be that peak year experience that they're now losing with Henderson going with Fabinho probably going and just make it a more round collected strong unit because at the moment there are big gaps in it there are gaps in it last year when it didn't have players at the peak years but at least they had experience and youth now it's just essentially youth and Thiago and while you think Curtis Jones can step forward more he's had a great few months you think he can be a leader now and really stake his claim it just needs that little bit more The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo I think as well that the, the difficulty I think Liverpool face now is that everyone it's going to be the worst kept secret in football that Liverpool need a midfielder or two and I know they've you know the, the kind of the transfer fees of the two lads that will probably be in the region of somewhere 50 million combined is going to obviously boost you know their coffers and what they're able to spend but you know that is going to make negotiations an awful lot tougher 
as as demonstrated by Southampton holding out for this fifty million pound mark for, for Lavia, and, and that would be a championship record. I know he's won't, probably won't be a championship player, but you know what I'm saying from a championship selling point of view. Um, I think that does make it difficult. We've seen obviously with um, with Brighton and kind of Moises Casado that I know they're a team on the up and, and probably in a better position at, than at, than Chelsea at the minute, but. You know, teams teams aren't the selling team now has all the powers. Players sign big contracts, and obviously Lavi is only a year into his. So if, at the end of the day, if they don't, if Liverpool don't meet their offer or the valuation, which fingers crossed they do, you know, Liverpool have to look elsewhere, and then that's when you kind of you know you get ten percent, twenty percent added on to the, the price and a premium, and that's when it becomes difficult. And as I say, we're two two and a half weeks out from this Chelsea game. I just think Liverpool need to get a body in beforehand because. It very much feels like, I mean, if you look kind of historically at Klopp's signings off the top of my head, I think the only probably late one they've done, apart from Loans and, and Arthur Mello and all those kind of January ones a few years ago, is probably Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is, is that late midfield one. I think there was probably a bit of haggling over the price as well. I think Chelsea were interested at the time. Um, and you, again, you look at when his Liverpool career really kick-started, it was in the January when Coutinho left. So, you know, it kind of shows that. If you don't have a few weeks of pre-season, you know, certainly under a manager like Klopp, where you're going to get used to your philosophies and, and, and all the different kind of uh, styles and, and systems, then you really are going to be playing catch-up. And with Liverpool playing you know, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, it is going to be a brutal schedule. So, yes, there is games to plug them in, but Liverpool can't afford a season of transition again. You know, they can't afford to be staring down you know, 20 points behind Man City by the time it's January or February. So it is really vital that, you know, if, if they are able to kind of strike a second bid for Lavia and get that accepted, great. But if not, I would encourage them to move on and, and kind of just get someone out, seeing who fits the profile. Okay, he might not be as great as a player. might be a short-term solution, but I don't think Liverpool are... I think whilst earlier in the window with McAllister and Sabozai, they could maybe hold their nerve a bit. And, and I know they had the release clauses, but I think that, that paid off seeing to Liverpool's hands. But now it very much feels like... Liverpool don't have time to faff around and mess around. They just need to get bodies in. You're coming out with a big shouts today. I thought I was the one with the reputation for two-pit and beat all. You no, finished Jordan Henderson more than any of us have done. Same move on from Lavia and throwing out no, Josh Kimmich. I, I think, I think no, stay with, I think Lavia ticks all the boxes. I think if you had a checklist, he ticks them all. And, you know, you don't play for Man City and you don't get kind of headhunted by Pep if you're not a good player, whether he, or not he was ready. I mean, you just got to... Just because you don't get into the Man City first team doesn't make you a, a bad player. I mean, look at the... the I mean, he essentially got forced out of a treble winning side. Trying to break through as a young player, that must have been impossible. I think the fact that Man City inserted a buyback clause says an awful lot about what they thought of him and as a player and his, his kind of potential, maybe if he had a few years away from City. As it sounds like Liverpool are, gonna, are preparing a second bid, as Doyley wrote yesterday. So fingers crossed that's accepted. But I mean, if Southampton start playing now, you know, hard, hard to get kind of over this second, this second bid or, you know, they're asking price increases. I, I just don't think Liverpool have time to waste. You know, 50 million quid, it's not 50 million quid what it was 10 years ago. I mean, the fact that Liverpool have nearly recouped their money for Jordan Henderson feels crazy. And that just kind of shows you the disparity in the market between 2011 and 2023. But as I say, I, they just need bodies in. And, and whether that is target A, B or C, they just need to go and get someone. You say it's a deal both clubs will want done quickly because as much as we're looking towards the start of the season, Liverpool flying out to Singapore and wanting Lavia if they get him to get up to speed as quickly as possible. The championship season starts a week earlier. By all accounts, Lavia had a pretty much a stinker in the last pre-season friendly. He, his head's turned. He's distracted there, which we expect for any young player. Like we saw it with Fabio Carvalho for the second half of his uh, last season with Fulham, maybe not to that extent, but it is a distraction. And if you're going to challenge promotion to the Premier League, 
however much they get up front from Liverpool could be huge to those efforts. I, I don't know exactly how much Southampton have done in the transfer market so They've far. Got a new manager as well, so you new know, be there's to... a lot for them to do. They'll want it done quickly because they're even more against the clock to have everything in place for the start of the season. And championships a long, long slog, and you don't want these distractions. Whether you go in for promotion to the Premier League or you're going for Champions League football, whatever Liverpool's aims are this season, it's well documented on this podcast. My uh, football club past, and you, you do all the, the pre-season interviews with there with the new signings and they are all adamant that, that you need to have, be in for the start of pre-season to give yourself the best chance of being a success because if you're playing catch-up it is a struggle to get in that side to impress get up to the physical demands make the relationships with your players and you think Liverpool it's even more demanding because Klopp asks for that little bit more intensity physicality all those commitments there like if you're a 19 year old in a struggling Southampton team those demands are so different to what Klopp wants from a fully working Liverpool midfield. It's a lot to get up to speed and it can take months, it can take time into the new season. So you just want it done as quickly as possible to give you at least those two weeks before the season starts in Singapore to just give you that first step. Otherwise, playing catch-up once the season gets underway. That's been what's cost Liverpool in these recent years when they haven't had the full pre-season, where they have had slight injuries or when they're coming back from oh, we're going early because of the mid-season World Cup or just finish the season in June because Champions League or you've got the pandemic. This was Liverpool's chance to get everything back in control. You know, a full summer, a full pre-season. Let's be refreshed, recharged. Let's go again and they've just had the rug pulled out from their feet a little bit. They need to get back to control back if they're going to give themselves a good chance this season. And I think as well, just to kind of add to what Theo says, it felt like a, a big summer, not only because of everything he's just mentioned, but the fact they were all trying out this new formation. You know, there's potentially a new midfield three going to be on the horizon at, at Stamford Bridge. It's, you know, McAllister, Sabozai, Gakpo, whoever is going to be filling those positions. It's like, well... You know, if they're all kind of starting at the same point, it's like it's easier to kind of harness those relationships early doors. But if you've got a few like you know, two lads who have maybe done three or four weeks of preseason, you've got one lad who's maybe done, you know, ten days or two weeks. Um, and it's not only that, but it's it's the fact of there's so such an importance now, you know, if we assume Trent's gonna take this inverted role long term, there's such a huge importance on, on who is at the base of that midfield. I think the in that new in that new system obviously as well as Trent being the kind of focal point of that there's huge emphasis on Ibrahim Akinati and his role and there's a huge emphasis on whoever takes that Fabinho succession, succession role and obviously that is hopefully going to be Romeo Lavia so you know, fingers crossed Liverpool can get something done you know, before before the end of the week or before the end of this podcast yeah I mean I'm going to be absolutely gutted if he's not doing the, the Axeline by the time I'm back in the office but <laughs> it's uh, no as I say just, just get people in and quickly because it is a, a massive summer for Liverpool now again The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo No, you're right. Time is of the essence. And Jorg, if you're, if you're listening, you're not out doing a delivery. Theo's got you boxed off with a couple of exciting names. So, final point I want to come to, and obviously we, we've touched on this in terms of leadership with, with Henderson and Milner and others leaving, but it's the armbands, the captaincy, because this is a massive question now. I mean, I, I know that Klopp has this leadership group in the dressing room, and you know you see that in effect out on the pitch. There's players in different positions who are kind of senior figures. So, you know... I don't think there's probably too much stock put in who is actually the captain in Klopp's eyes. But clearly, you know, as you lads have said, Henderson's had it for a long time. He's been one of the longest serving captains at Liverpool. And, you know, it's, it's, it's at the very least symbolic. It's a significant thing. I, basically, I think there's probably two main candidates for it now to replace Henderson, and it's Van Dijk and Alexander-Arnold. And I suppose it's whether you go with a player who is, you know, peak, peak if not just past it, and, you know, someone who can have it for a couple of seasons and lead Liverpool well, or you go, well... Trent's our long-term man. Let's give it to him now. 
Keith, I'll come to you first on this. Like, where, where do you stand? There was we were discussing this in the office earlier, and uh, one of our colleagues made the point, and it, it's a good one, and I hadn't considered it. You know, do you give it to Van Dyke now, with the view that Trent will obviously get it further down the line, and it allows Trent to just adapt to life in midfield, Away adapt from to the life. Limelight, yeah, yeah, you know, like it, has he got enough on his plate now, or or can he can he be Liverpool's leader straight away? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, funny enough, I, I, I've been reading, or well, been listening to Henderson's book in, in over the last few weeks, and. Uh, earlier this week it was uh, he was talking about the 2018 World Cup and how that was a really pivotal moment for Trent in obviously they'd both gone away with England I think they were the only two Liverpool lads on, on Engl- in England duty and he said that's when Trent really came out of his shell and, and at that point was the first time he realised that Trent kind of had the credentials of a you know a future Liverpool captain so you know that's straight from the horse's mouth as someone who's done the job and inherited it probably at a similar age to Trent you know if he's saying he's kind of got all the credentials I think that bodes well I think there's different types of captains I think Henderson is, is probably someone who you know, you look at a Gerard who was obviously the best player in every team, Liverpool team he played in, and and he would lead by example. But and and also Carragher would probably he'd probably not good good cop bad cop like you know James Milner and Jordan Henderson were, but it was probably in the sense of I think Carragher was more of a vocal one and Gerard maybe led by example. Not that Gerard wouldn't you know scream and shout, but I think Henderson was prob is someone who would scream and shout, but obviously wasn't always the best player. And I don't probably maybe one season he's probably been the best player, but I think he probably elevates everyone else's game and makes them better players. Um, you know, you're looking long-term, Alexander-Arnold is probably going to be Liverpool's best player. I mean, he's he's a Galactico, isn't he, in kind of his own right and what he can do. Um, it's difficult because, as you say there, Van Dijk's kind of, if he's not already hit his peak, he's very, he's kind of in it at the minute, isn't he? And he maybe already had it. He's 32, is he? I think Van Dijk, 31, 32. He's got two years left on his deal. And, you know, if we do talk about a new centre-half coming in, you know, this summer or next summer, you know, someone of a, a Levi Colwell's kind of stand-in of someone who can partner Ibrahim Akanate long-term, you do wonder what that kind of says for Van Dijk's place in the team long-term. At the moment, I think he's the perfect, the, the kind of the perfect captain for Liverpool. But I just wonder if, you know, while you are rebuilding everything, you might as well, do you just give it straight to Trent and say, right, you're going to be the captain. You've also got Andy Robertson here, who's Scotland captain. You've got Trent, uh, you've got, sorry, Van Dijk, who's Dutch captain. You've got Cody Capo, who... Uh, captain PSV you've got all these captains Mohamed Salah you know these supreme athletes and brilliant footballers to learn off they've all been there and won it alongside you you can be the captain but you can learn off these for the next two or three years and kind of hone your own skills and, and can really become your own captain and, and you know I think during Henderson's early days he spoke a lot about wanting to be Gerard, but you kind of naturally find your own way to captain a team and Trent will find that in due course he, he probably hasn't found it at the minute so that would kind of be my thing of like, well, if we're doing it, we might as well just do it now. What's the point in doing it again in two years? But I think the, the other shout is Alison Becker. I think I think he's got a really good shout in this. He's he's along with Trent and Van. I don't even know if you'd say Van Dyke anymore, but certainly long term, he's he's someone you can see being at Liverpool for the next four or five years. I mean, he's only thirty. Um, he's you know again one of the best players in his position in the world, if not the best. He's one of Liverpool's most important players. He's been introduced into this leadership group two years ago. So. You know, I don't think Liverpool are short of options, and I certainly don't think it's a case of when you looked at when when, when Gerard left, and I think kind of options were like Emre Chan and you know, maybe yeah. a, a Saka or, or Henderson. Yeah. I think whoever it, the Arman does, you know, end up on Liverpool will be you know well placed. And I think we can all say now at this moment in time, it's only a matter of time before Trent gets it, whether it be now in two years, three years, or whatnot. Uh, where do you see it, Theo? Because I suppose that yeah, Allison is a, an experienced head, and I think as a spokesperson that last season, mm. I was very impressed with how he came out when Liverpool were in there 
the, the various dips that lasted a, a long time. He was questioning kind of mentality and really did step up as a leader, I thought, not just on the pitch with his obvious very good performances. <laughs> Do you think he could be in with a shout or does it have to be someone who plays that bit further forward on the pitch who can, you know, get to the ref a bit more easily, can corral the players and lead in a more active sense? It's uh, one where there's probably over-obsession on the captaincy in England and I think that's something Klopp's really alluded to in the past as well he doesn't most of European football don't get why the English are so obsessed by who's your captain and it's because we've got all these bloodied images of like a Terry Butcher or a Bobby Moore all these players <laughs> who brought up on like Captain Marvel Brian Robson and Liverpool it's the same you think of so many great captains it's your, your Phil Thompson's uh, your Graham Sooness's uh, Tommy Smith Emlyn Hughes uh, Ron Yeats, and this is going way back and even then going into the 80s Alan Hansen Steve Nicholl Ronnie Whelan Ian Rush, John Barnes, like there's so many big, big names in Liverpool history that have been the captaincy, that have the captaincy. There's that added importance on it. The same way as if you wear the number seven shirt, you wear the number eight shirt, you wear the number nine or the number 10 shirt. There's that obsession there. Whereas it's not the case elsewhere. Like it's, Klopp said that himself, European managers, when they come over, they don't get it. And you only need to look at Man City. They've changed captain, I think, four or five times now in the past four or five years for us since comp company left. You had company, Fernandinho had it, David Silva had it, Gadungan had it. Um, I'm assuming Kevin De Bruyne's going to be the next captain, but that could easily go to Ruben Diaz or something. There isn't that importance there. You just want a group of leaders. Like They all come out and say, oh, we're all leaders anyway. We're all vocal in the dressing room. Like Liverpool's current captaincy pecking order with the two gone, Milner and Henderson, is Van Dijk is third, so first choice, and Robertson was next. Like He captained the team a few times last year. He's very much that vocal leader. Those are the now two last-standing experienced heads. I'm not really sure who's ahead in between Trent and Alisson because Trent's only had it once, and that was when Kelleher was in goal. And whenever Alisson's had it, Trent wasn't playing. So there's no clear which one of them's ahead of each other in the pecking order. It's just Klopp's going to have to have a conversation here and then we have the player vote as well who gets added to the, the leadership group because we know there's going to be a very miffed Mohamed Salah if he is in say, the conversation you know, don't, don't knock his name out of the conversation. I'm, I mean, I'm sure it was the game that Trent captain Liverpool, the Michelin game. That was when he was miffed because he didn't get it. Yeah. But that's because, that was a mistake. Trent Klopp wasn't said, meant to captain. Yeah. Should have been he a thought, Klopp said, yeah. didn't he? He thought he'd just given it to the longest serving player. This is how much they don't really care about the captaincy overseas. It is just the most experienced player. And that's why Divock Origi got it for so long. That's why Christian Benteke was getting it in cup games and Jose Enrique because they were the only players like over 25 or something ridiculous like this. Um, but because Liverpool won that added importance of it that like it does feel like you need these big leaders it's who steps forward like Alisson is the player you can say next season if he's fit he starts he is that voice and then maybe Andy Robertson is the one who's screaming all over the pitch but if they sign a left-sided centre-back is Andy Robertson even first choice anymore like Virgil van Dijk yes he's in the conversation but he's had all this criticism from uh, back in his homeland saying he's not a good Netherlands captain and it seems like he's been he glides through games. He's not really has that nasty captain who gets that added level from players. Yes, he shouts, but he's more who leads by example. It needs that combination there. Trent probably will be a Liverpool captain in the future. It's whether he's ready for it. I lean towards the fact that I think long term, but that's because we've had Jordan Henderson captain for best part of a decade. We had Gerrard captain best part of a decade before that. Like Liverpool 
that seem to have that iconic captain who just glides through as a generation leads through. You don't want to be changing it every year, but as City show, it doesn't matter if they had, if it does. They could give it to Van Dijk. Van Dijk gets an offer from Saudi next year. Give it to Alisson. He gets an offer to go back to Brazil or something, and then you just keep changing. It doesn't matter because they've got a very strong group of players, but new leaders need to emerge in this group. It's all very well having Alisson, Van Dijk, Salah, um, Robertson, but you need the younger generation to step up here. Sabosli, he's Hungary captain, but he's still getting used to new surroundings. Curtis Jones, he's someone who had the armband in the youth levels. You think now he's the youngest ever captain, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. So you need these players to stand up. Elliot's also another player who, whenever he comes out and speaks, he speaks very well. Like You're all going to have to take responsibility here because Liverpool have lost a hell of a lot of experience, but these are all still players that have won everything and can be that experience for the next generation. I'm sure Trent would relish it as well, wouldn't he? I mean, he would have you know, grown up on Steven Gerrard and you know, he obviously gets the city and gets the club and gets what it means. I think he would really embrace that challenge. I think whichever way you kind of cut it and slice it, I think he does need to be, you know, vice captain at least, I would say, just surely for the long-term kind of project that Liverpool kind of embarking on. You know, you don't want to, you know, say Van Dijk and Klopp going the same summer, two, two, three years' time, whenever it is, then it's like, you know, someone's got to appoint a new captain. I think if you can do it more of a seamless transition of like, this is the, you know, Theo says, get some kind of ranking in system again. I know there's a leadership group, but as Theo says, is, you know, if you try and decipher who sits where in that leadership group, it's quite difficult, but... As I say, whoever ends up with the armband, I think Liverpool will be well set. You know, Jordan Henderson has done a fantastic job and, you know, Captain Liverpool's some really iconic moments, but you know, obviously it's time for someone else now to step up and take that mantle. And take over shuffle duties. Yes. Very oh, important. Absolutely. That that first shuffle for the new man is gonna be it's gonna be some moment. Right, well thank you lads. Thanks to uh, Theo and to Kiefer. Um plenty to discuss there. I think we boxed you off with a new captain and, and at least one more signing as well as, as Romeo Lavia. So yeah, that'll do us for today. We'll be back on Monday to reflect on Sunday's game against Leicester, which I think kicks off at 10 a.m. at our time. Ian Doyle over in Singapore for us. So keep an eye on the Echo website, plenty there, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.